Hello, my name is Sylvia Gorajek and this is Valley Talks, talk show on real life stories of Silicon Valley startups. I'm excited to host today's talk in this awesome DocuSign office with this fantastic view at the Bay Bridge. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Today, I'm joined by my special guest, Joshua Brother, principal and head immigration attorney at Brother PA, and also he's a professor of law at University of Miami. Mr. Brother has worked with some of the most elite entrepreneurs, Oscar winners, Grammy winners, and nationally renowned artists. He has successfully presented thousands of clients with a focus on athletics, business, entertainment, and science. He's just killing it, and I know this for a fact. In the first part of our talk, we'll be discussing some of the most common available visa options for entrepreneurs. Make sure to also watch the second part in which we'll cover some of the nuances about working with an immigration firm. Joshua, it's my great pleasure to have you on Valley Talks today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. 51% of today's top startups in the US have been founded by immigrants. Yet, visas are a huge challenge and huge obstacles for all startup founder, founders who want to set up a company in the US. And is there any chance it will get any better or just worse? What do you think? You know, I think it's interesting that you ask, and I guess the, the broader question is how has the Trump administration affected immigration? Um, I think interestingly, the, this pushback on immigration has galvanized the community into real action and immigration is beginning to see some changes. I think changes in the way that attorneys are becoming more creative huh. and more um, outside the box in the way in which they poach cases. Is there any like common myth about um, filing for an immigration visa for business that you would... Um, yeah. Bring up. yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's a myth that there is this concept of like a work visa um, and that there is a common notion of what is immigration. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Um, can you sign today's papers? Uh, Nikki, we're recording, so it's kind of like um, maybe let's do it later. Um, sorry, um, they just need it really fast. Um, it's going to take a couple of days to mail. Um, it's going to be really quick. They just really need it. You know what? Um, I'll use DocuSign for this later, so I'll sign it digitally and they'll have it right away. And um, I'm sure, Joshua, you know DocuSign we as love well. love DocuSign. It's awesome. We're You're using, using that office. too, yeah, right? Yeah. So just, um, yeah, let's do that. Okay. All right. Um, sorry. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yes, continue. Okay. Um, so just let them know I will uh, send it through DocuSign and they'll have it within a few minutes and it's very easy and paperless. Okay. Perfect. All right. Oh, she's so funny. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Joshua. Um, yeah. <laughs> so again, what was this myth? I think the myth was that there's an all-encompassing notion of what immigration is and mm -hmm. the idea of a, quote, work visa. Um, immigration is a very specialized field, and I think that what we're beginning to see is a, a greater push towards specialization in the practice of the field where individuals have to be able to identify cases on a case-by-case -case method as opposed to like a one-size-fits-all. There is no one-size-fits-all in immigration. I mean, one of the things we're looking for really, though, is an individual who has a sense as to what their purpose is and what their objective is in the field of immigration, and that helps us to kind of align a strategy. Exactly, but there is nothing about like, you know, knowing of language or you know like degree or anything like that because there are just a few different ways so you could always tailor this to to the case right right um languages i don't think are ever going to be a criteria uh, to the contrary i mean i think with immigration immigration is a field that's driven by qualifying standards and in, eval in evaluating a case it's going to be very important to look at the individual set of materials another common question is like what is the easiest way to be able to set up a company and, and actually grow this, so work at this company as well. 
I don't know that there's, an, I don't know, I don't, you know, I don't know that there's, I, mean, an, I don't know there's an easy question, uh, you know, to the, Sylvia, that is really the essence of what we do and what we spent the last 20 years doing, which is yes. uh, working with individuals yeah. and entrepreneurs and individuals of very high performance and helping them tailor immigration strategies to their long-term yeah. plans. There are visas that are defined by nationality, mm -hmm. as you know, they're investor visas, and perhaps an individual has a very specific focus as to what their intentions are to do to invest in the creation of a company, and they're from a certain country, that may be a certain visa. Maybe there's an individual who's had a large-scale exit that's had broad acclaim in the field and they've disrupted the industry with innovation. That may be a very specific field. Maybe we have an individual who has a master's degree who's created a patent in the field of biotech. That may be another field. Immigration is individualized mm -hmm. and this notion that there's one size for all you know, prospective immigrants is just a mis misnomer completely. Um, so what about B1, B2 visas? I guess those are, you know, the most common ones. They are, you know, um, called like tourist visas. What can founders do on these visas or what they can't? It's a great question. You know, um, that's another one of those kind of misconceptions when they mm -hmm. say I have the B tourist visa or I have the B business visa. The B visa has two components. There's a B1, which is tourist for business. And then there is a B2, which is a tourist for pleasure. Um, the B1, which is what we're really talking about here, is an individual who can, within the context of their admission as a B1, they can meet with individuals for the purpose of developing a company. They can negotiate contracts. They can form a company. They can attend conferences, which may include an accelerator or incubator. What they can't do mm. is earn compensation within an employment context. So a B1 frequently becomes the vehicle by which an individual plants those seeds for a long-term strategy. Is the fine line actually defined by whether they earn money or not? Or is this about like whether they work for the company or not? <laughs> I know it's a favorite question. Uh, and you know, it's just something that That's is- That's a very nuanced, razor sharp question. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be Let's honest. Let's do it. <laughs> So, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a combination of a series of things. It's, a, it's whether there's compensation for the activity and whether the activity would be perceived mm -hmm. as uh, an activity for which compensation could be derived. Uh-huh. So working for free is not an option. No. 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 But let's say you've been invited here to meet with a group of potential investors for the purposes of capitalizing a project. That's something that's permissible. Let's say you're here to meet with an attorney for the purposes of setting up your Delaware C company. That's permissible. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're here to look for prospective employees to help back end your project. That's permissible. Let's say you're here to look for space for the purposes of launching your company. That's permissible. When you sit behind a computer and you start developing code or software for which you can earn money, that's not permissible. How about hiring people? Hiring people is permissible. It is? Yeah. Hiring people is permissible. Because I heard in the past that actually in order to hire people, you need to hire a hiring company that would hire people for you. Is that true or not? I think that's interpretational. Uh, I, I, my position would be uh, at odds with that for sure. Okay. I mean, I, I'm of the mind that a B1 is in fact that seed and that port of entry for an individual to begin to take those steps in furtherance of. In fact, um, the, the code as it relates to the E2 treaty investor talks about an individual can enter in B1 for the purposes of exploring and developing an E2 investment. It would seem to contemplate the notion of job creation mm -hmm. within that formation. I see. What actually you mentioned before uh, this interview to me is that there is a bigger attention paid by the immigration office to what founders are posting on social media and online, right? Something that maybe wasn't really the case even a few years ago. Sure. And so now all of them need to be pretty careful about what they are writing, posting. Is that true? It is. It is. I mean, I think that the 
you know, the transparency element of activities is becoming very, very far-reaching within the context of immigration. And this plays out less within immigration in terms of the adjudication of cases and more at visa issuance at ports of entry, which are consulates. So I'll give you a very, very small little uh, snapshot. Right. You have an individual who comes to the United States, begins to develop a project, is sponsored for a visa, obtains their O-1 visa, in the course of their activities here begins to post on, on Twitter or, or whatever social engines are using mm -hmm. about the activities. They return to their country for the purposes of visa issuance. Right. And at the consular interview, they say, hey, listen, we've vetted your social media platforms and we've seen that you were speaking about the activities that you were conducting. That can be used as an adverse factor in visa issuance. Right. But that is referred to the period before they got the change of status. Sure. Right? Sure. Um, and is the change of status, can we actually also right now differentiate between change of status and, and the actual visa? Can yeah. you just um, give a little bit of summary of what the both of them are? It's a great question because it also it broadens what we talk about when we talk about immigration. Immigration is, is an agency that is within a broader agency that we call the Department of Homeland Security. Under that, you have a variety of agencies that work together for the purposes of moving foreign nationals in and out of this country within permissible activities. Immigration, the U.S. Citizenship Immigration Service is the agency, the domestic agency that adjudicates visas within the United States. So um, an individual can come to the United States and through immigration change their status from their initial entry in B-1 to a longer term visa status like an H, an O, an L. Upon issuance of that visa, of that status, uh, they can remain in the United States because status refers to your permissible activities in the United States and you can stay as long as the visa has been permitted. However, when you depart the country, you're interacting with another agency, which is the consulate. The consulate is under the Department of State. The consulate is, has the authority to issue visas. Visas refer to that instrument that goes in your passport that authorizes travel in and out of the United States in the classification that's been given to immigration. They're two different processes and they're two different legal instruments. Yeah, and they don't really work together, they do they? They don't. They don't. And, and, and quite frankly, the consulate has such far-reaching authority and discretion that they can take a de novo review of a decision that immigration has, been, oh. has made. Wow. So in uh, that context, also one of the other questions asked by my audience is, would you advise to come here on B1, uh, create a company and like, you know, find a way to file for a visa from here, from United States, or is it like safer, cheaper, I don't know, um, you know, uh, takes less time to do it from your home country? You or is know, this also case by case? Okay. It is, and I mean, that, that, that is, I think, the essence of, of what I'd want to emphasize today is uh, immigration is a case by case process, mm -hmm. and the needs of a certain entrepreneur or founder may be such that they're required to be here for a longer period of time, and a change of status in country may be beneficial. Whereas there are individuals who may have foreign investors, may have a back end software team abroad, they may need to travel. And so the considerations are very different. What are the um, most common currently available visa options for entrepreneurs then? Um, okay, so first of all, we talk about immigration, we're talking about non-immigrant visa categories, which is that range of visas that expire, your L's, your O's, your E's, and then you're talking about green cards, which are immigrant visas. In one sentence, if you could just summarize who really qualifies for O visa, L1, or E2, what are the main, main criteria? One sentence. <laughs> <laughs> you, you reduced my I career. You, you, you reduced but... my career to one sentence, huh? Okay. I mean, all right. Yeah, um, then everyone so, right, will talk so to you to talk about the details. But right. yeah, that's just the main criteria about each of them. Okay. L1. L1 is a multinational transfer of a, from a foreign company to its U.S. subsidiary branch or affiliate of an executive or manager. 
Um, the E2 is what's called a treaty investor. It's for countries that have designated bilateral treaties with the United States for the purposes of creating a company of commercial enterprise in the United States through a substantial, irrevocable investment in the United States. That investment can both be capital as well as intellectual property. The O1 is a visa for what we call aliens of extraordinary ability. Mm -hmm. This is individual for talent visas, individuals who have led companies of distinction, made original contributions of business or scientific innovation, received high salaries, spoken at conferences, played a judging role or a juror, incubators, accelerators, uh, mentoring, publications about the individual, um, lead role for organizations. Um, you know, it, it's going to be, there's a 10 point criteria and you're mm -hmm. going to be looking at very, very high levels of achievement as, as evidence through objective criteria. Right. So for those founder, founders who have already, you know, worked on their company, they have uh, spoken at many conferences, they have, have, have had press coverage and those kind of things, it may be a direction worth looking into. It, it really may be. Right. Absolutely. And then EB1 is kind of similar to that. Is this just like higher level of, of those kind of like achievements? Sure. Um, so in immigration, every non-immigrant category has an immigrant category that corresponds to it. It's a kind of every? A, yeah. It's pretty. It's a pretty strange kind of matrix. You have like the okay. H1B, which has labor certification. You have an E2, which many people kind of correlate with an EB5, although not directly. The L1 can become a green card. The O1 aligns with the EB-1. And mm -hmm. what we're talking about, while the O-1 has three different criteria within it, in the O-1A and O-1B, um, the EB-1 is going to be a much higher level of scrutiny and evaluation in, in the adjudication level. Mm -hmm. And within the context of, of green cards or immigrant visas, we're looking at the EB-1 and the EB-2 national interest waiver under matter of Danazar, which is a new case that's just kind of been promulgated since December of this year. I see. And it hasn't been vetted or, or changed uh, since then, has no, it? No, no. No. And what does it what does it say? The national interest waiver. Yes. The national interest waiver is a really unique category. Uh, it had been in existence for a long time, and it was really geared towards scientists who worked in fields that furthered the national interest of the United States in uh -huh. sciences and education and healthcare in a variety of fields. Um, under a decision in December of this past year called Matter of Danazar, it expanded um, the categories and very art very clearly articulated that entrepreneurs with master's degrees could be included within this category if they can show a variety of factors, one of which is the background and the skill set to actually launch this company and the criteria hmm. and, and abilities to do so. Interesting. Could it serve as a substitute for the startup visa? I think that that's, that's what we're beginning to the see. The closest one. I, I, I would have to. Would it be any easier than startup visa then, if they don't need to show like special kind of like amount of investment? Well, I mean, there's going to be some factors like a master's degree. There's going to okay. be some factors like um, very specific metrics by way of criteria um, and achievement that are more aligned with mm -hmm. the EB1. Um, mm -hmm. the, the unique thing about matter of Danazar national interest waiver is it articulates the word entrepreneur. Um, as a category. I see. Do they need to have an employer no, for that? No, it's a self-petitioning category wow. as well. Startup Visa has also had a lot of controversy around it. Um, it was a really well-tailored, um, I think, program for, for founders because mm -hmm. it, it assumed that they would need to have $250,000 uh, invested from mm -hmm. um, American investors. They would need to also have 10%, at least 10% ownership in the company. And mm -hmm. that, would, that visa would allow them to run the company for two and a half years, right. right? There were many hopes that this would come into life in July uh, 2017, this year. Mm -hmm. um, we're past that date right now. We know 
it's not happening. Right. So it's right now delayed to March 2018. That's right. Do you think it will be implemented or it's just like just pushing <laughs> off like forever? <laughs> Let's just forget about it. I, you know, I, 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 was, I was one of those practitioners that was very excited and optimistic mm -hmm. that it was going to present an alternative strategy for entrepreneurs. It didn't fit into one of the conventional statutory prescribed categories. Um, the, let's say the secrecy and the unilateral nature with which it was kind of withdrawn, it leaves me without very much hope as to the long-term prospects of that category. Because mm -hmm. it, it happened without explanation, you know, and it represented right. such, a, such a favorable direction yes. for, you know, an alternative category that seemed to kind of understand some of, some of the, the limits on the current immigration framework and provide an alternative. And, yeah. and the, the removal of that category is, it, it's, it's troublesome. It's troublesome. It's, it's out of line with what's happening right now in this country. H-1B visa, actually, we didn't mention that one. Right. That's also an option for entrepreneurs, or not. You I've know, seen some of entrepreneurs. Sure. Um, okay, so, you know, there's this notion of what they call, you know, the H-1B is a, is a, is a petition-based visa, so there has to be an employer. It's mm -hmm. also governed by the Department of Labor, so there's very specific labor condition requirements as it relates to salary in terms of employment. Right. Can you be your, your, your employer as well? You know, you, there, is, there is an element that allows for what could be construed perhaps as, as, as self-employment as long as there's a board structure. Mm. You, you have to have some entity that can regulate hiring, firing, and supervisory control over the activities of the beneficiary. Uh -huh. So, you no, know, you couldn't open your own company, own your own company, and sponsor yourself. There'd have to be some... Uh, some some entity between you and in the true employment that would regulate that, right? And the H one B also is you know as um, it's just out of line with, with it's out of line with the needs and demands of our current employment structure in this country to have, mm -hmm. to think that you have sixty five thousand available visas in a category that's swelling to over two hundred thousand on the first day to know that we go into every fiscal year for a full year without available visas, it's troubling. It's troubling, and it's it's a it's a disconnect. Yeah. You know, I think the big issue in, the, in, in a, an area of distinction is this: while there is no startup visa and there is no visa for founders, there are a lot of founders and there are a lot of startup companies that are extraordinary, mm -hmm. and they're extraordinary people. And there's categories for extraordinary people, for extraordinary computer scientists, for large scale um, data researchers, right. for traditional businessmen who may now be entrepreneurs, but under the category of business. An entrepreneurial pursuit is a field of business, and business is recognized both in EB1 and O. And they can have those achievements in their home country. It doesn't uh, need to be in the U.S. It's a great question. Um, the statute says national or international acclaim. National mm -hmm. is going to be in your country of origin, and international is going to be the world at large. So, yeah. So, for those founders who are, you know, really thinking of uh, expanding to the U.S. or moving to the U.S. and to build their companies in like one or two years, what would you What would you advise uh, for them to to pay attention to right now or do right now start doing right now? I think it's important that before you know as a as a point of departure is educating themselves. I think that most entrepreneurs by their nature are individuals who absorb lots amount of information and, and make sure that they mm -hmm. assess the landscape around them. I think the immigration process is like that as well that you need to be informed and you need to empower yourself. You need to go into both your meetings with your attorney as well as what your long term goals are with the empowerment of knowledge and understanding as to what you're looking to do. One of, the, one of the big issues that we find is that an entrepreneur may achieve tons of things along the course of building a company which they don't think are relevant, only to find that when they get to that EB11 moment or that O1 moment, all of those articles, all those invitations to speak, now are going to form the basis of your qualifying criteria, and, yeah. they, don't, and they don't have them.
you know. Oh, and they don't have them. You know, um, opportunities yes, to speak. Yes, because they didn't take them, right? Because they didn't think it was important. Yeah. You know, and, and the analogy would be between, like, we, we represent lots of athletes as well. And you have an athlete who, from the age of eight years old, has been a world-ranked prodigy. They're not saving all their medals. They're not saving their certificates. <laughs> they're not saving every media piece because you're talking about volumes. Only to know that when you come down to the immigration, those volumes of paper is what's going to form your qualifying criteria. Exactly. So actually, I think that you know, a year, two years in advance, it's really worth to look into the options that are out there and try to think like which one probably would be the one for me right. or you know, ideally start talking to the attorney right then right. and then start building your um, achievements and evidence of those achievements. Absolutely. Most importantly, right? Right. Um, so that in this, within the year, you can do a lot. I mean, that's, that is the essence of it, is, is, yeah. evi is evidence, because you know, while we're not talking about what, you, what you'd hear like in criminal law, like the burden of proof, in immigration, there is a burden of proof, too. We have an evidentiary burden that we have to satisfy mm -hmm. in showing how an individual qualifies, and that burden is satisfied by evidence. Joshua, thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, for sharing this invaluable knowledge. And for all the viewers who would want to reach out to you, what's the best way? We offer free consultations and you know I like to work with people by Skype so I have an opportunity to actually meet them and kind of talk through the process. All right, it's thank you pleasure. so much. <laughs>